about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. I'm reading the Bible of John, uh, chapter 6, verse 1 to 15. Jesus feeds the 5,000. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is, the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went out on the mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked his only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was doing to do. Philip answered him, It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far would they go among so many? Jesus said, Half the people sit down. There were There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down, about 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began saying, Surely, this is the prophet who is to come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself.
Thanks, Kylie. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is James, and on the 23rd of January, 2022, that was uh, Viv and I, our first Sunday here at Newtown. Viv was 34 weeks pregnant. A lot has changed over the last almost two years. Uh, this is always going to be the church where we were received uh, as student ministers when we started college. This will always be the church where we learnt how to be parents. This will always be the church where our son Henry was baptised. So thank you so much for a wonderful almost two years. Um, we've learnt a lot. We've grown a lot. And we are very sad to be leaving. Let's pray as we come to God's word. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that you've brought us here today, and in your kindness, you gave us your word. Father, we pray that today you would, by your Holy Spirit, open up our eyes and ears to receive what it is that you have preserved for us, and that you would bring us transformation. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if I were to ask you which one of Jesus' stories or the, the stories of Jesus, were the most important, how would you answer? There's lots of candidates. Some of us, though, might go, well, I'm not that familiar with the Bible. I'm not that familiar with Jesus. I'm not really sure how I would answer. Others might throw a few things out there, things like his birth, apt, given this last week of, of Christmas, or his baptism, or maybe the cross, or, or his resurrection. And stories like Jesus' death on the cross and baptism are present in all four of the gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But it's interesting to note that Jesus' birth isn't recorded in Mark's gospel, or explicitly in John's gospel. And the earliest manuscripts of Mark's gospel didn't actually include the resurrection accounts though it was present in the other three. And that's not to say that these events aren't important. If anything, it just reflects the richness of the four gospel accounts that we've been given, how they reflect Jesus' life and ministry and have been recorded and compiled in unique ways. It's worth reading all four gospels, drawn from the earliest contemporary sources, informed by eyewitness accounts of Jesus from his time. Each gospel has a different collection of events, each with a unique, though non-contradictory, focus. Picking and choosing what to tell, emphasizing different aspects. It's what makes reading a gospel for yourself so interesting, whether for the first time or for the thousandth time. You find that it's more than just a recount of one event, then another, then another. Each gospel was a rich tapestry of historical fact with literary depth and theological significance. But while there are unique aspects to each gospel, there is one miracle that Jesus does that is common to all four. Only one miracle Jesus does. And it's this one that Carly just read for us. The feeding of the 5,000. And while I don't think that something being present in all four gospels should be the criterion we use to, to determine significance, it's interesting, isn't it? This one miracle present in all four Gospels. Why? Why this one? Why is this story so significant? And how does it function in this Gospel? 
Today, I want to invite us to think about what makes the feeding of the 5,000 so significant and what this version in John's Gospel uniquely focuses on, emphasizes, draws attention to, and how today, on the cusp of a new year, it holds out the hope of, well, hope and new life. So keep your Bibles open at John chapter 6, or just listen along. We're picking up the story from verse 1. Sometime after this, referring to Jesus healing a man in Jerusalem back in chapter 5, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Now we're talking a big crowd here, at least 5,000 or around 5,000 men, not counting women and children. So this is a huge crowd that are following Jesus. Now Jesus is here up north in Galilee, and he has been healing the sick up here and gaining notoriety. Now note, in John's Gospel so far, we've only seen Jesus heal one time in the region of Galilee. That was back in chapter 4 with the royal official's son. And so we're reminded that John, like all other Gospel writers, is being selective with what he chooses to write about. We haven't seen any other healings, but here in John chapter 6, the people have clearly seen more healings going on in the region of Galilee. In verse 3, Jesus goes up on a mountainside with his disciples. Then John gives us this curious comment in verse 4. The Jewish Passover festival was near. Now, the last time we saw a Passover festival was in John chapter 2. So a year has passed between chapter 2 and chapter 6. But John isn't just giving us this detail so we can work out where we are in the three years of Jesus' public ministry before he dies. Now, this this point is significant. We're going to come back to this shortly. But the action picks up in verse 5. Jesus looks up, and he sees a great crowd, this great crowd following him, clamoring after this amazing healer. And Jesus turns to his disciple Philip and asks, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? Now, with thousands of people present, can you imagine what must have been going through Philip's head? what he must have been feeling at this moment. Perhaps his train of thought went something like this. What? When was this planned? Did I miss a meeting with the other 11 disciples? Did someone volunteer me for this while I was missing? Jesus, there are 11 other disciples. Why don't you ask them? Bread for thousands of people? I don't know if a bakery can fulfill such an order on such short notice. And we're on a mountainside. Jesus, couldn't you have told me this while we were, you know, before we walked up here? Now, I'm being amusing in a few ways, but but the point is this. This is an outrageous demand. How is Philip meant to answer this? Verse 6 tells us that Jesus knew what he was going to do. But the fact remains that Philip probably was bewildered. Notice where he lands in verse 7. It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. In the original language, it, it actually works out to something like eight and a half months So yeah, more than half a year's wages. That's a lot of money. What Jesus is asking for is logistically impossible. It's economically impossible. They're not rich men. These disciples, they're they're poor working class travelers, apart from maybe Matthew, who who have given up their full-time employment to follow Jesus. How are they meant to, to solve this situation? Well, in verses 8 and 9, the disciple Andrew speaks up. Maybe he 
could sense the tension and wanted to break it somehow, you know? Cutting in and going, look, I, I, I can solve this somehow. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Small loaves of bread, small fish, is something. He's come up with something. But it's a measly amount among thousands, isn't it? But here is where the miracle happens. Verse 10, Jesus instructs the disciples to get the crowd to sit down. Verse 11, Jesus takes the bread and the fish, gives thanks to God for the food, and miraculously distributes it to everyone as much as they wanted. That's bonkers. Verse 12 repeats this amazing truth. Everyone, man, woman, child, had, they all had enough to eat. Not just something, enough, satisfied. And verse 12, Jesus instructs the remaining pieces to be, to be gathered up. Don't let it go to waste. How much is left over? Twelve basketfuls of barley loaves left over from the original five. As verse 13 tells us, there is not just enough for people to eat, there is an abundance, an oversupply, an overflowing supply. Jesus is powerful. He's miraculous. He's not just an ordinary man. And he's also gracious, able to provide for the ones he loves and attentive to their physical needs. You know, in the, in the Jewish Old Testament, in, in, in the Old Testament story, there was another used by God to bring bread to his people. Or rather, bread to God's people. Moses. You see, Moses, in the Old Testament history, was a prophet used by God to provide satisfaction for his people's hunger. God's people's hunger, by multiplying bread from heaven. You can read about that in Exodus chapter 16 if you'd like to. But Jesus also provides satisfaction for God's people's hunger by multiplying bread from heaven. But unlike Moses, who was just the one who reported the distribution of the bread, John's gospel tells us that Jesus is the one who multiplied the bread. Verse 11 Jesus himself distributes the multiplication of this bread. Jesus is greater than Moses. That's what this story shows us, far greater. But let me draw out what's unique to John's account of this story, that the other three Gospels it may be there, but it's not as clear. Firstly, John's account emphasizes that Jesus is God's decisively chosen spirit-empowered prophet, more clearly than the others. You see, John's account is the only one that points out that the bread is made of barley. Back in verse 9, and again in verse 13. And whereas the other three Gospels, we see the 12 baskets collected were all of the food, the, the, the bread and the fish, in John's Gospel, verse 13, it's just the bread that's emphasized. All right? Why does that matter? Well, John 6 has a particular focus on the bread, a fact that will become significant later in the chapter, but also, I think, significant here. Because in the Old Testament, there was one other prophet who multiplied bread, barley bread in particular, and it was the prophet Elisha. 
You can read about it for yourself in 2 Kings chapter 4. But suffice it to say, the wording and details are echoes of what we find here in John 6. If you read the story in 2 Kings chapter 4, you're left going, wait a second, I've seen this scene before. Jesus. And then you remember, wait a second, no, this was hundreds of years before Jesus. Because you see, Elisha was a prophet, the prophet, who succeeded after Elijah in a particularly turbulent time in Israel's history. And Elisha's initial ministry is marked by signs and manifestations of power that, among other things, were designed to to show the people that he is the prophet to come after Elijah. He is God's appointed successor to Elijah. He is the empowered one of the same Holy Spirit, the same spirit of Elijah, truly God's prophet. Elisha, a powerful and unique, true successor, prophet of God, empowered by the Holy Spirit, is alluded to by this story in John's Gospel. The crowd there before Jesus could see something of this. Back in verse 14 in John chapter 6, it's why they say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. This is the one we've been waiting for. Because you see, in the Old Testament, God promised through Moses that a prophet like him would come, who would be a definitive spokesperson of God, who would speak a word of God to his people that could be trusted, that could be lived by, that you didn't need to doubt, who would tell the people what God commands, who would show the people what God's will is, who would reveal what God wanted. The story shows us that Jesus is God's appointed successor to Moses, but also to Elisha, empowered by the same Spirit. Truly God's prophet, the prophet who was promised to come. For Jesus is the Spirit-empowered, powerful and unique prophet of God, a final prophet to deliver a word, a decisive word, a word that God's people had long been longing for. Like what came before, but also unlike what came before. For in Jesus, what we see are what Moses and Elisha were merely shadows of, even though they came before him. Jesus is God's decisively chosen and spirit-empowered prophet. That's the first thing highlighted by John's account. Secondly, John's account draws us to see Jesus as a deliverer of his people. It's worth pondering what this whole situation about food may reveal about the crowds. I mean, think about it for a second. They were following Jesus because, John tells us, he healed the sick. And Jesus notices that as they follow him up on the mountainside, they have no food, and he wants to feed them. Now, one thing it may reveal is that they were desperate to get close to Jesus. They, were, they, were, they had left their towns and villages. They've, they've come towards him. They want to get near him, even if it means they go hungry. Not thinking about how and when they'll get their next meal, but clamoring to get to him, to stick with him, to be around him. Now, what would drive people to do that? To, to think that getting around someone is more important than food? Well, that brings us back to the comment about Passover in verse 4. Because deeply embedded in the Jewish Passover was the practice of remembrance. Remembrance of their deliverance from slavery. 
oppression and death back in Egypt thousands of years before. Remembrance of when God judged the land of Egypt and spared Israel, passing over them. Remembrance of when he led them out through the wilderness, through the Red Sea. Remembrance of their deliverance into new life as God's people, saved, led by a prophet of God, Moses at the time. And so these crowds around Jesus, around this time of Passover, I think John is pointing out that many of the Jews would have been longing for, craving for, hoping for a new deliverance. One that they were every year called to remember and look back to, but also showed them that they longed to look forward to one as well. A new deliverance out of the oppression of the Romans into a renewed kingdom with renewed glory and restored freedom and peace. That's worth more than food, at least in the short term, isn't it? And I think that's why getting close to him was more important for them. And that's why, having become convinced that Jesus is the prophet of God, greater than Moses, greater than Elisha, verse 15, Jesus knows that they want to come and take him and make him king by force. Because they want him to lead them, like Moses did, and deliver them. But verse 15 tells us that that Jesus withdrew to a mountain by himself. Now, we're going to look more at this chapter next year. And and as we do, we'll see that despite having some grasp of, of who Jesus is, they don't really comprehend what he came to do and how he came to accomplish it. Nor do they understand what it is that he ultimately is on about. Because what Jesus came to reveal was that he was, he was here to provide a deliverance more, a deliverance beyond just the political structures of the day. Now that's what many would have hoped, thought, craved, but Jesus came to deliver his people from a greater enslavement. The enslavement of sin and the punishment of everlasting death of a state of existence where your hunger would never be quenched. That is the deliverance that Jesus came to make and which he ultimately achieved by giving up his own body to be broken in our place so that God can spare us, pass over us, and deliver us into new life, ushering us into his kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus, his glorious son, where there will never be any lack, hunger. Instead, the the Son's kingdom will be overflowing with, with abundance, abundant blessing, provision, joy. That's the kingdom that Jesus is king of. John's account highlights that the people don't grasp this fully or respond correctly. And it sets us up for the rest of the chapter. But you're going to have to come back next year as uh, we continue looking at that. But as you draw to a close, let me finish with two reflections. Firstly, as I was reading and rereading this passage in, in my preparation, I was struck afresh by how Jesus is marvelous and strange. Marvelous and strange. He cares for people. 
He's kind. He's deliberate. He's uncorrupted by power. And this story does not go the way I thought it would. It doesn't unfold the way I would tell the story of the the feeding of the 5,000. But this is the thing. The, The Jesus of history, this remarkable man, defies conventions, subverts shallow notions, confounds expectations. Then and now. 2023. Whoever you are, it would do you a world of good to look afresh at Jesus. Reading a gospel for yourself, rediscovering anew the majesty of Jesus Christ. If your faith has grown stale, it could be because you've forgotten to cast your eyes on this marvelous man, Jesus. If you're someone who's a skeptic, who has no interest in Christianity because of all the right things that we should condemn about Christendom and church and and how Christians have failed, can I encourage you to look to Jesus, this marvelous man. He's worth looking at. And it's a breath of fresh air as you push away all those things that are unworthy extras. Today, will all of us resolve to take another look at this compassionate, gracious, powerful, empowered prophet of God? Secondly and finally, Passover is one of the two ways that Jews mark out the new year. There's another one, but Passover is one of them. And so it's striking that in God's providence, we are looking at this story in John 6, today of all days. It's not every day you look at John 6. It's not every day you look at a story in the the Bible that happens on Passover. It's not every day that, that Sunday is December 31st and you're here in the building. Today, as we face the end of a year and the start of another, will we see that the people in Jesus' day didn't understand what it was that Jesus came to deliver them from? And ponder this. Amidst the highs and lows of whatever this year may have looked like, amidst amidst the, the successes and losses, the opportunities taken, the opportunities not taken advantage of, today, will you re envision what it is that, that we most need to be delivered from? Will you have a reality check to see that your greatest problem in need of delivering from is the enslavement of sin and the punishment of everlasting death? If today, for the first time, then regardless of how your year has gone, hear this and respond by seeking out Jesus. Today of all days, when it may look like 2023 doesn't have that much left to offer, hear this, it's offering you in an abundantly powerful and gracious and compassionate king who can reveal God's will to you. If for the thousandth time you already do believe in Jesus, then regardless of how your year has gone, hear this and feel joy. For however, however, bleh or meh 2023 has been, your future is secure Your hunger will be quenched. 
your desires will be renewed and satisfied. You have been delivered by the Spirit-empowered, powerful and unique prophet of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks for your Son, Jesus. We thank you so much that he is, for us, the prophet and the king. And we ask that all of us would cast our gaze on him and be struck anew by his majesty. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.